get caught up in all of that. We want to say thank you to Travis Haspi who put that together. He's one of our young adults that did such a wonderful job. Oh, my goodness. And it, it captures not only the moments that, you know, touches a person's life, but it also shows us the investment that you have put into people. These are your children, your grandchildren, nieces and nephews, and the upcoming leaders that will one day take over, and they're already doing that. They're the ones leading this camp. But I, I'm so amazed because if you think of this entire weekend, we are such a multi-generational church. Yesterday, we had our forerunners uh, blast through the past uh, yesterday, and they had a phenomenal time. But thanks be to God for our forerunners, our aunties and uncles, our kupuna, those who have paved the way so that we can have young men and women like this come to know the Lord. So I want to say thank you to those of you who have invested into this church, into the body of Christ, and those who continue to advance the kingdom of God through various ways so that more people can come to know him. So thank you to the generation above us and the generations that have gone so that we can have what we have today. I love that we're a multi-generational church, that we get to see God's plans for us, that he knows he has plans for us. And that should give us a hope because he knows the future that we have. In this series that we're in called Rediscover, we're learning that to discover something means you've learned something, you've stumbled upon something, you've learned something new, and you've discovered something. So to rediscover something means you once had it, and it's been lost, but now it's being found again, and you're rediscovering whatever it was. And we've been going through rediscovering influence, rediscovering passion, rediscovering Jesus. For some of us, we may have strayed from our relationship with him. So re we are rediscovering certain things and today we're going to look at rediscovering hope. Because for some of us, we are in a situation that doesn't look like it's hopeful. In today's world, if we were to look at what happens, hard to become hopeful. In other words, if we're looking for hope in a situation, situations will change constantly. And if our hope is in that, then our emotions will change constantly our hope will fluctuate because of the situations that change in front of us. But I liken it to that scripture that we saw at the end, Jeremiah 29, 11. In fact, if you have your bulletin, you can take out the notes. Uh, this scripture is not in your notes, but it is in your app, if you have the New Hope app, the church app. And there is a place for notes in there. But if you want to, you can check this out later or just mark it, Jeremiah 29, 11. By the way, in your bulletin, you do have these invitation cards because Easter is coming up so quickly. But we want to celebrate Easter because this is, this is what we understand, that Jesus died on the cross and then rose from the grave to give us eternal life. So in your bulletin, you have these invitation cards that you can pass out. And I know I'm, I'm, at, I'm at that stage where I'm in between the denial of glasses, you know, my eyesight, so I, when I took this out, you know when you're, you're needing glasses when you do this, when you look at something, you do this. <laughs> so I took it out and I thought, oh boy, here I go. But um, I can still read it, just saying. But it does, it does give us a, a way to pass out uh, an invitation to a family member or someone who is, who, maybe they're looking for hope and they're looking for hope in all kinds of different places. Maybe this will encourage them and just let them know that we have our Easter services coming up and our Easter uh, week celebration. And so you can take that and, and it'll remind you also uh, of our season. But we're, we're talking about this word hope today. 
And it is often said that a man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only for one second without hope. Now, what do you do when you lose hope in, in a given situation? What does that look like? Well, we're going to look at a story from a man named Lazarus who Jesus raised from the grave. A man who had died and Jesus raised from the grave. But in the scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11, when God says, I know the plans that I have for you, it's a hopeful one because I know your future. I liken it to this because some of us will, will not be hopeful and even when we see this scripture or we read it, we, we still struggle with being hopeful because of what we see right in front of us. I think of it this way. If you've ever gone to a movie with someone and uh, you, you've seen this movie already, but they didn't, you know the outcome of the movie, they don't. They're going to ask you all kinds of questions because you've already seen the movie. They're going to ask you about a certain scene that, oh my goodness, is this where it ends? I mean, does he end up with her? What's going to happen? Is he the one that did that? Did they take the money? Was he the one that took the car? You're going to have all of these questions because you're in the scene right there. You're just watching what is happening, so you're asking all these questions. But you, because you've seen the movie, you know the ending, you know the guy gets the girl. You know they win the lottery. You know they get away with it. You, you, you know the ending. And so you're not stressed out. You have no burdens because you know the ending. But the person who didn't, they're the ones struggling. And if you're like me, I, I don't like when people talk during the movies <laughs> asking all the questions. So I, I liken it to this way. Yet I ask Heidi questions. So I don't know. That's such a paradox or hypocritical so this is god i ask her questions during the movie so think of it this way this is the future and the hope that god says and that he promises for us so what happens is the moment we're born we live with setbacks and unforeseen things that may take place someone said something to us something happened to us uh, maybe growing up uh we just, we lost our faith in God. Maybe we didn't know God growing up, whatever it would be. And maybe for certain points in life, we just had some major issues, pain, suffering, a health issue. But there are certain key points in life that have hit us that has caused us to become hopeless. And so that's where we were. So we were looking at the situation and we're saying, boy, there is no hope. And maybe you're there today. Whatever is happening, maybe you're struggling through something or coming out of something or just got into something and it's a big burden, there's a lot of stress and it doesn't look like there's hope. It doesn't seem like there's hope. And maybe what you're seeing is just a, just a scene in the movie that God knows of. And God is saying, wait a minute, I know the outcome. I know your future and hope. But what we tend to do is we tend to look at this situation or our situations, to determine if we are going to have hope or not. And God says, you're looking to the wrong thing. If you look to me, then you're going to find hope. But if you want your situations to change, you will always become hopeless. Why? Because your situations will always change. It, it's a constant change because we live in a sinful world. We're sinful creatures. Our heart is desperately wicked and it's sick, the Bible says. So we need a new heart. 
to understand all of this and for us to put our hope in God so that we can be hopeful people. I think of the times when something breaks in my home, a washing machine, and I don't know how to fix it. I find someone who can fix it. And while that person is fixing it, I'm not looking at the situation and saying this is hopeless. I have hope. Why? Because that person knows what they're doing. When your phone goes bad and you don't know what to do, you give it to someone who knows what to do, and they fix it for you. Usually it's our grandchildren or someone younger or someone who knows what they're doing or a technician, and we say, figure this out. Or we go on a YouTube video or Google, and we try to figure it out ourselves. But when you can't fix it, you find someone who can. And so your hope is not in the thing or the situation. Your hope is in the person who can fix it. When your car is broken and you don't know how to fix it, you try and it gets worse, then the wife says, take it to the mechanic, and you do, your hope is in the mechanic, not in your situation or the car. Why? Because it's the mechanic who can fix it. But the same is true with God. He knows the plans that he has for us. They're for good and not for evil. To give us a future and a hope. So our hope should never be in the situation. It should always be in God. And when you, when you know that God is the one who can fix things, then you never put your trust in the situation. You always put your trust in God. And when it comes to life, you can be hopeful because of a person. And his name is Jesus. Not the situation. In John chapter 11, in fact, you can turn your Bibles there. John chapter 11 is in the New Testament if you have your Bibles. If not, I'll read the story. And this is the story of Lazarus. This is an interesting story because you're going to see life happen right in front of you. And in John chapter 11, in fact, the author, John, is writing this book, the book of John, so that you would believe in Jesus. That's why he's writing this book, so that you would believe. And so he puts this story in here. Because he could see that, wait, if I put this story in here and people read this, they're going to put their hope in Christ, not a situation. So John chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now, that doesn't make sense, does it? That Jesus loved them so much that he didn't go to them right away. He loved them so much that he stayed away for two more days. It just doesn't make sense. You would think that when you pray to God that he's going to answer your prayer right then and there. He's going to come quickly. But he stayed two more days. Now what happens in those two days? Oh, our hope goes away. We, seem, we feel hopeless. Why? Because God didn't come. He didn't, he didn't arrive when we asked him to. He didn't provide when we asked him to. I didn't get the job when I asked him to. But Jesus stayed two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? 
Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there. Now, this doesn't sound like Jesus at all, or the, the Jesus that we want. It just doesn't sound like him. And I'm glad for your sake that I was not there. But then he says this, this is why I was glad I wasn't there. So that you may believe. And then he says, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, who also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had, been, had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So same thing that her sister said. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is, an, there is a bad odor, for he had been there four days. And Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, 
Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now this story doesn't start off good. It starts off with a man who is sick, who needed help, and Jesus wasn't there. It looks hopeless. Jesus performs the miracle for the issue at hand, and the issue wasn't that Lazarus was sick. It wasn't because he was dying. It was because they didn't believe in him. Not what he could do, but in him. He performed miracles so that we would believe. And people who believe become hopeful because their belief is not in the situation, it's in a person. Because the problem that we deal with in our world today is not material, it's spiritual. And that's what was happening, that you're looking for hope in a miracle when you should be looking for hope in a person. And that's what Jesus was trying to teach. Because in our world, we have many gods, small g, that we look to. But God is God in spite of man looking for other gods to satisfy our needs. Imagine if there was no God. Instead of pain being used for a purpose, pain would be meaningless. That God wouldn't be able to use our pain. And if pain would be meaningless, then there would be no hope, no justice, no forgiveness, no redemption. And evil would win. But thanks be to God that He exists. That every person, every hopeless situation can become hopeful. And here's how. Here's the first thing. you got to know where hope is found. Hope is never found in a situation. It will always be found in a person and that person is Jesus Christ. It's never the situation. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, tells us that these three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Now, why is that? Why is love the greatest? Well, here it is. Because love is the supreme ethic. Nothing is greater than love. You can't get any greater than that. That's why we, love, we want to be loved. That's why from the moment we're born, we look for love. We look for attention. We strive to be liked. Why? Because we want love. That's the supreme ethic. And so because love is the supreme ethic, that's the foundation in which everything else rests on, and God is love. Those three will remain. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Hope is there. But without love, there is no hope. But because we have love, because we have God, there is hope. Hope means an expectation of good. There's an expectation coming up so you're hopeful. That's why he says, I know the plans that I have for you. It's for a hopeful future, for your good, not for calamity, not for evil, but for good. So you can be hopeful that you have a joyful and confident expectation, even of eternal salvation. Now, when Jesus said this, this will not end in death, he's not just talking about a physical death. He's talking about eternal death, eternal separation from God. He's saying, listen, it, this is not going to end in death. And even when he did raise Lazarus from the grave, I want to tell you a secret, Lazarus died after that. He still died. So we live in a world where, yes, we still die. But Jesus was saying, you got to look beyond what's happening right now. Because if you're only looking at this, the temporary, then you're going to always find hopeless situations because this world that we live in, the temporary world, it is hopeless. But when you can see for all of eternity that it never ends, 
then that's where we find our hope. It's in a God who is eternal. And so what Jesus was saying is it's not going to end in death. Death is not the end. It's the beginning. Why? Because we have a future, an eternal one. And when you can have eternity in mind, it opens up the horizon for hope. Because the grave is not the end. We have hope far beyond the grave. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul the Apostle is speaking to the church and he says, As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lazarus becomes sick, doesn't look hopeful. His sisters call upon Jesus. Jesus doesn't show up. It looks hopeless. Did you know that hopelessness starts with situations that you can't control? You you can't control it. And so hopelessness starts to settle in and the situation will always change. And if our emotions and hope are dependent on the situation, then our hope rises and falls according to that which is guaranteed to change and sometimes for the worse. So we should never put our hope in the situation. My grandchildren, we spent spring break with them and we're in Waikoloa and one of the things they love about Waikoloa are the swimming pools. And so it's a, it's a little ways to the swimming pool from where we're staying and we have to walk there and it's a couple minutes. But on the way there, they're asking Papa, where is the swimming pool? I'm, and I'm saying, it's right up the road. Let's go. We're going to get there. And they're walking. Now they're only little. So they're walking with, you know, baby steps, and I'm thinking, okay, we'll get there in time. I know where the pool is. It's not going anywhere. But they're stopping along the way to look at everything. Oh, Papa, look at that rock. I'm like, yeah, it's a nice rock, but we're going to the pool. We're not looking at the rocks. Okay, Papa, let's go. Where's the pool? The pool is down here. We're going to get there, but you you guys keep looking at stuff. Okay. Oh, Papa, look at the grill. You know those those, um, gutter, the drains? You know, we used to play on those things. And they're looking at it. They're like, hello. Hello? I'm like, hello, let's go. Come on. We got to go. Hold Papa's hand. Oh, Papa, can we play on the seesaw? Sure, if you want to, but we're not heading toward the seesaw. We're heading toward the pool. There's a future and a hope for you, but this is, this is just what you want right now. So he's settling for this. They're playing in that, and then they're walking. Oh, Papa, look at that leaf. I'm like, there's choke leaves around here. Why, why would you want to play at the leaf? We have a swimming pool to go to. I'm getting sunburned. Let's go. And so along the way, and they keep asking me, Papa, where's the swimming pool? I'm like, the swimming pool is down the road. I'm going back to the hotel. You go by yourself if you want to find the pool. And so I have hope. I know where the pool is. They keep asking because they keep stopping. They don't get there in the time we're supposed to get there because they're so interested in these, all these other meaningless things. Rocks, gutters, leaves. Dead leaves, might I remind you, and weeds. Like, this is, why, why, why? This, this is a distraction right now. And as I'm walking to the pool, I'm thinking of myself. I'm thinking, isn't that me, Lord? I stop all along the way for all of these things that are meaningless right now. I miss the future and the hope that you promised me. Why? Because I'm looking to this and that and, oh, this will give me a, this will give me a high. This will make me feel better. Oh, this relationship should work. Oh, this is going to make me feel better. And so I, I look at all these things and I think, boy, God is probably looking at us like, what are you doing? You're wasting your life right now. You're missing everything. I have a future and a hope for you. But right now, you're so stuck on the temporary. And you've become hopeless. Because you've forgotten who is your hope. 
It's not in the situation. It's in me. So I think all of us, we have that tendency to stop and, and lose hope because we're looking at a situation. And we like the, the temporary feel-good things. But once they got to the pool, we stayed there all day. All day. Sunburn and all. Of course, we keep lathering them with sunblock. But it's only something that takes place when someone knows where they're going and can see the bigger picture. And that's what God does for us. So here's the second thing we got to do. See the hope that the Lord sees. If we're stuck in our situation and we're looking at the temporary, we're never going to see what the Lord sees. That's what was happening with the sickness that Lazarus had. They were looking at the temporary. And Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. There's more to it. That you would believe. That's why Psalm 119 verse 18 says to open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. Jesus will constantly give instructions. He'll constantly instruct us. And, but if we don't see what he sees, then we're not going to trust in the future and the hope. When he says, stick it out. You can do this in your marriage. Stay close to me. Put your hope in me, not in the other person. Don't put your hope in the situation. Don't put your hope that they're going to change. Don't put your hope that they're going to make more money, that things are going to turn around. Don't put your hope in that. Put your hope in me because I will never let you down. And you put your hope in me, you'll see that I can do great things, things you have not yet seen. And when his disciples said, Lord, if he falls asleep, he will get well, they could not see what Jesus saw. This is where trust comes in, that Jesus knows better than we do. And Jesus even responded to them. He says, I am glad for your sake that I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. Could it be that God is working on our belief more than the miracle itself? Because isn't the belief far more valuable than the actual miracle that takes place? Oh, we love the miracle. But we should love the miracle maker more than we love the miracle. That we would believe in him. There will be times when you feel like Jesus is not there and you begin to lose hope, but, but this gives us an opportunity to believe rather than believe that the situation is going to get better. It causes us to believe in him. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 tells us that, that his thoughts are nothing like our thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would, have, would not have died. Mary says the same thing. How often have we said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my mom wouldn't have passed away. My son or daughter, my father, my child, this wouldn't have happened. My child would have gotten accepted to this school, gotten that tuition. They would have made the team. I would have gotten the job. I would have gotten the promotion. If only you, have, if only you were here. But then Martha continues and she says, but even now, I know that whatever you ask God, God will grant you. Her hope at first was in the capabilities that Jesus had, not in him. And it was in what he could do, not in who he was. And Jesus said, he's going to rise again. And she's, think, she's thinking in the resurrection. And Jesus says, no, 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 I am the resurrection. So you're close, Mary, but you've got to switch that heart, that perspective to 
no longer in the situation that, oh, yeah, in the resurrection. No, no, I am the resurrection. So switch that and put it in me. Put your hope in me, not the resurrection, because I am the resurrection. And before Jesus raises Lazarus from the grave, his critics arrive. That boy, the man, this man who, who could open the eyes of the blind, could he not save this man from dying? Did you know that hope is always preceded by critics. And you could be your own critic. You could, we probably say more negative things to ourselves than anybody else. And so we've become hopeless. Why? Because we say all these things. You're no good. You can't do this. Look at what you did. Look at your past. Look at, look at the, the sins that you committed. Look at who said this. And, and look at the people that have, have done this to you. And we constantly say these things to ourselves. And Jesus is saying... Why bring the critics? You don't, you don't need the criticism. Oh, you can learn, definitely. But when the critics showed up, Jesus didn't lose heart. Because his hope is, was in who he knew he was. You will always have critics. That's why, here's the last thing, you need to realize that Jesus is greater than life. He's so much greater than life. No matter what we strive to become, Jesus is greater than that. No matter how low we've gone, Jesus is greater than that. No matter how far we've drifted from God, Jesus is greater than that. He can always bring us close to God. That's why it's so incredibly important for us to see what Jesus sees, but realize that he is greater than life. And Martha is beginning to realize that Jesus is greater than life. As she says in verse 25, when Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, the one who believes in me will live. And even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Then he says, do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. See, when you rediscover hope that Jesus brings, even though you die, even though things don't look too good, even though we have no control, even though people say otherwise, even though others don't believe, even though the critics show up, even though you have no more strength, no more life, no more energy, nothing else to give, we can know, as Romans 8.28 tells us, that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purposes for them. Those who love God, not the situation changing. Those who love God and who are called according to His purposes for them. That's, that's our God. He causes all of these things to work together for good. And for many, this is why there's hopelessness because they've forgotten that God is above everything, that He has given us a future and a hope, and we look to temporary situations to change and it's still temporary. But when we put our hope in an eternal God, now things change and hope becomes, once again, rediscovered. I think even with these invitation cards, you can be an answer to people who are asking questions. That you can bring hope to someone who feels hopeless right now. And dead or alive, hope still remains. Faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. Why? Because God is love. And now we can bring hope to a world who needs all things to work together for good. But they got to love God because we all are called according to his purpose. 
I want to close with this story. It's, it's found in this book called Shaken. And uh, Tim Tebow, who was a former NFL player, uh, writes about his journey in life, but mostly in his career. And uh, such a good book. If you're an NFL fan, then this is such a good book for you uh, because he, he brings in his faith and his belief in God. But it's called Shaken, Discovering Your True Identity in the Midst of Life Storms. And I wanted to read this one story. And uh, Glenn, you can come to the keyboard also. But he, he puts in this story, and I think this story, even though you may not be able to relate to the actual story, you can catch the principle behind it. And it starts off in this way. In December 2012, 16-year-old Garrett Leopold was in a Florida hospital waiting for a heart. It would be his third one. And without it, he would die. Garrett appeared healthy when he was born, a hefty nine-plus pounder. Then in less than 24 hours, his vitals started to fail. Right before the helicopters came to take him to Shan's Hospital at the University of Florida, a nurse asked his, patient, his parents if she could pray with them for Garrett, who was now covered in a mesh of wires and fighting for his life. At Shan's Hospital, he was diagnosed with hypoplastic left heart syndrome. Unknown at the time, while he was in his mother's womb, his left ventricle had stopped growing. Without another heart, Garrett would not survive. Susan, Garrett's mother, said, we could only pray for God's will. This was obvious to us when we stopped in mid-prayer, realizing to pray for a heart transplant for our son was asking for another child's life to end. Garrett was only 12 weeks old when he underwent his first heart transplant surgery. Though the next few years consisted of countless doctor appointments, medications, and checkups, Garrett was relatively healthy. After spending his first two weeks in kindergarten, he nonchalantly told his mother he felt full and showed her his unusually swollen belly. Well, Garrett hadn't eaten too much. He was diagnosed with Burkitt's lymphoma, a rare form of cancer that sometimes develops after heart transplants. After four months of chemotherapy, including a three-month hospital stay, the cancer was gone. Since that time, however, Garrett had to visit the hospital every two months for intravenous infusions that doctors hoped would boost his immune system. In June 2012, Garrett had a heart biopsy. Bad news. He was diagnosed with coronary artery disease and he needed another heart. I met Garrett for the first time while playing college ball. A friend had invited him to come into the locker room after the 2006 national championship celebration to meet some of the players. He was such a sweet kid, shy but full of life. I don't remember exactly when, but I do remember spending some time with Garrett at Shan's Hospital before we granted him a wish in August 2012 when his health was deteriorating. I was playing for the New York Jets at the time. The foundation flew him and his family out to see our preseason game against the Philadelphia Eagles. Less than a month later, Garrett was admitted to the pediatric ward at Shan's where he was immediately put on the heart transplant list. My friend stayed there for six months connected to an IV and heart monitor, and he waited. When the first week of March 2013 rolled around, Garrett's condition took a turn for the worse. 
His heart began beating in an irregular rhythm with the outlook grim. On Friday evening, March 8, Garrett's parents got a call from the hospital. Come quick, they were told. You need to be here for your son. Early Monday morning at 3.23 a.m., a donor heart became available. Garrett's mom and his dad, Eric, remember the text they got from the doctor. The heart is here. The transplant has started. Garrett's parents were ecstatic at the news but also felt heartbroken for the donor who lost his or her life. Susan said, We can never say thank you enough for such a gift. On Monday, Garrett had a new heart. Though most organ donors are anonymous, it didn't take too long before both families began to realize a connection, both heartbreaking and life-changing. 18-year-old Amanda Pierce was a senior in high school, making plans to begin her studies at a community college and then transfer to Florida State University. She wanted to be a special education teacher. On Friday night, March 8th, at the same time Garrett started fighting for his life, Amanda was driving to Tallahassee. There was an accident in front of her. She swerved her car to avoid it and hit a tree instead. Amanda was pronounced dead early Saturday morning, her heart a perfect match for Garrett. Amanda's family found Garrett through social media. When they reached out initially, Garrett wasn't ready to connect. He struggled with survivor's guilt, knowing a price was paid for his life. Finally, on March 9th, exactly one year after Amanda passed away, Garrett and his mom met face-to-face -face with the family of the girl who saved his life. He brought with him a stethoscope so Amanda's mother could hear her, her daughter's beating heart. In a powerful and emotional meeting, Amanda's father showed Garrett and his mom pictures of their beloved daughter. And with her eyes closed and stethoscope in her ears, Amanda's mother, Laurie, placed the instrument on Garrett's chest. As she listened to her daughter's heartbeat, with tears rolling down her face, she whispered in a broken voice the words, I love you. Later in an interview with the local media, Laurie said something I'll never forget. There is no doubt in my mind that God intervened. This is tragic and awful and unspeakable, but it can at least still bring something miraculous from this tragedy. Garrett recently said, Amanda's parents are loving and always tell me I am worthy of Amanda's heart. We have met many times for dinner and concerts. Amanda's family is a part of my family. I am a junior at Mulberry High School and some days are rough and some days are better. I really feel humbled and honored, also blessed to say I received the gift of life though Amanda's, through Amanda's heart. God has been good. Not every prayer is answered in the way we want. Sometimes things happen for reasons we can't explain, that don't make sense, that seem unfair. If today you're going through a tough time, know that it's for a purpose. One of my favorite quotes is from my big sister, Christy. In the midst of her struggles with health and the challenges of being a missionary overseas, she became convinced, God will never waste pain that's offered to him. I love that. God will never waste your pain. He will never waste your heartache. God will never waste your loss. God has given us 
such hope far beyond the grave. And he has given us hope in this world that whatever situation we may find ourselves in, what he does is something so incredibly amazing that is far beyond our imagination that Jesus actually did this for us. He saw that we needed a new heart. And he died so we could have his. And he gives us his heart to give us a future and a hope. He paid the price so that we could have hope when we feel hopeless. Can you say amen to that? Would you pray with me? Bow your heads for a moment. Lord, we're so thankful that you have given us your life so we could live, so we could have a hopeful future. You don't look at our past. You don't look at our behavior. You just look at our, our future, where we're going, where we're heading. That to you is far more valuable than where we've been. And so today, Lord, we, make a, uh, we, we take a stand to say that our hope is in you, that we look to you. That's where hope is found. That no longer will we look to situations changing for hope. We look to you for hope, who never changes. And because of that, you change us. Lord, I know that there may be some here today that they've never put their trust in you. Maybe they've put hope in other things, but today we've learned that our hope should be in you and you're tugging at our hearts. So I pray for anyone here today that if that's you and you're saying, I want to put my hope in Christ, I want to put my hope in something that's eternal, I want to put my hope in something that is strong and has stability, something that has a foundation for my life, that you want to put your hope in Jesus Christ, would you just lift a hand and just throw them up in the air? You're saying, I want Jesus right now in my life. Yeah, that's you. God sees your hand, sees you right there. God bless you right here, you too. Right here in the front, in the back, right there. Yeah, God sees your hand. Yeah, back there, God sees you. Right there, God sees you. Right here, God bless you. Yeah, that's the hope that we have. He is the resurrection. He is the life. You can put your hands down. Lord, even as believers, we tend to lose hope. But today, Lord, is a new day. It's a day that we have declared that these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love because you are love. Thank you for loving us, even when we drift, even when we've done things that have taken us further away from you. Today, Lord, we take one step closer to you, and you run the rest of the way back to us, and you embrace us, and for that, we are grateful. As I pray this prayer, you can repeat the words, especially for those who are saying yes to Jesus for the first time. And this is a prayer that we call salvation. It's eternal life that he offers to you and I. And here's our prayer. You can repeat after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross and rising from the grave to give me a future and a hope. I trust you, the resurrection. And I'm thankful for the new heart that you have given to me. In Jesus' name I pray. And we all said together, amen. Isn't God so good to us?